Hello, my friends, and uh, welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 33, and we're going to do the readings for the fourth week of Lent. The fourth week of Lent, we're in the fourth Sunday of Lent. So, um, if you like what I do, please subscribe and share. Uh, this podcast will be a great help. And um, so, um, let's begin uh, with the act of contrition. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray for me and with me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Okay, so we don't say the um, Gloria because we're in uh, Easter. So, um, anyway, I know I haven't done anything about the uh, consecration to Russia. Sorry about that. But I'm going to um, try later on to do the uh, to read the prayer to you guys. Um, it was a beautiful prayer. I liked it, uh, it very much. And um, I know there were uh, several... Um, Catholic podcasters uh, in the Catholic podcasting world and YouTube world. You know, um, people can nitpick all they want. And you know what? With all honesty, who is in charge? God is in charge. And I don't, and I know some people were saying, why is it so difficult? You know, because there were several popes that have made this attempt through the for the last 105 years and it either was done in private without the union of all the bishops and it was probably done without saying Russia's name and it was like for the consecrate the whole world or people were nitpicking because it was Russia and Ukraine and not um, you know just Russia alone and some were nitpicking because they said that the orth not all the Orthodox were there. You know, with all honesty, why are we expecting that this was easy thing to do? Our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And then his chief apostle, the prince of the apostles, Simon Peter, denied him three times and then all the others deserted him ran off abandoned him they didn't stay by his side only one came back and he came back 
with Our Lady, with the Blessed Mother. Didn't come back by himself, and none of the others came back. They were all hiding. Why do we expect that it would be that easy for Pius Twelfth or Pope Paul or John Twenty-Third, or John Paul II or Benedict or even would it be easy for, for Pope Francis? I think a lot of people have to get out, get off their high holy hill that they chose to take, you know, to, to put themselves in a fortress. It was not, it's not easy because we are weak, sinful human beings. Popes are people, they're human beings. Some of them may be cowards. Some of them may have bad advisors. Some of them may be just complicated men. Some of them maybe are too intellectual. Some of them might be too vain. It's true. It's not easy. You know, they're, they're sinners like the rest of us. They're not, they, they may be in a holy position, but it doesn't mean that they're above sin. They're supposed to be holy. They're supposed to strive to be holy. I think. I'll be honest with you. It was a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And I'm going to read it to you uh, in the next podcast. But let's not. Um, now, will it work? Did heaven accept it? Did heaven receive it? Did it satisfy God's uh, uh, wish? God's, uh, you know, demand? Because he gave this to us through Our Lady. And we consecrated, Russia was supposed to be consecrated to her Immaculate Heart. Unfortunately, the errors of Russia have spread. We see it all around us. It's all around us. We see it with transgenderism. We see it with this whole population control thing. We see it with abortion. We see it with the internet, we see it with sexual exploitation, we see it with all the different oligarchy and, 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 and elite uh, abuses. It's everywhere around us. The violence. Sin has multiplied and increased. This spiritual cosmic disease that has affected all of us is everywhere. And I'll be honest with you, it, you know, I think the United States needs to be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I think uh, all of Europe, Western Europe, needs to be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I know all of humanity, in trust, including especially Russia and Ukraine. But I believe we we really need to uh, have individual nations like Canada and the United States, Germany, <laughs> Germany, China needs to be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. 
I think, I think we need to do that because it's just tight. It's just bad. Things are really seriously bad. I mean, I'm not happy with the politics in the United States, especially like the politics in the United States is the golden cow of the United States, the golden calf. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Now with what's going on with the Supreme court, with this Jackson woman who refuses to define herself as a woman because she's not a biologist. Is that someone I want in the Supreme court seat of a judge? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's this trans LGBT trans identity uh, sexuality identity thing is gone too far. And it's affecting everything. Our political system, our entertainment system, our economic system, our school system, um, everything, our, you know, it's affected everything and it's, it is, and it's really dangerous. Yeah. We need to, I think, consecrate the United States of America to the immaculate heart of our blessed lady. We need to. And, you know, the story, they say that, um, before the French revolution, some hundred years or more, um, our Lord told, uh, the nun, uh, Alacoque, uh, sister Alacoque that to, to have the king of France consecrate France to, to the sacred heart of our Lord. The king didn't do it. Sometime a generation or so later, a hundred years later, the French Revolution took place. And the French royal line was wiped out. The French Revolution took place and... and well, it hasn't been the same ever since. So we we have to remember in the Bible, whenever nations have gone so far perverse, so far into sin, nations have been destroyed, wiped out the face of the earth. God told Abraham that his, 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 uh, his seed, his children will remain in, in Egypt for 430 years. And after 430 years, when the sins of the inhabitants of the land have reached its full, its full, their blasphemies and their abominations have reached completely to the fullest, his nation will return and, and he will use the nation of Israel to to bring judgment on the people, on the nations of the land. Well, those nations have been wiped off the face of the earth. 
Well, who's to say that won't happen? Who's to say that won't happen to the United States? Who says, who's to say it won't happen to other nations? Abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism is gone out of control. You know, uh, a priest said on the Catholic Cultural Institute, a Dominican, that the habit with uh, with human beings is we tend to go to one side, which is total totalitarianism, complete control of the mind and heart of human beings. And then on the other side, where it's kind of like a Marxism, but with with complete freedom without conscience, intoxicating of uh, intoxication, the opium of the masses would be sex, drugs, rock and roll, and um, alcohol and violence. Just complete freedom without without guilt, which leads to complete soul self destruction. So you have two polar opposites. Both sides don't want God. Both sides don't want morality. Both sides. Don't care about the person. That's just, this is what we're dealing with here. All right, let's begin the reading. So for this Lent, we have um, optional mass reading. So I'm going to do both. Okay. The first reading is from the book of the prophet Micah. Chapter 7, verse 7 and 9. I will, I will arise though I sit in darkness. The Lord is my light. A reading from the book of the prophet Micah. I will look to the Lord. I will put my trust in God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will arise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord is my light. The wrath of the Lord I will endure, because I have sinned against him, until he takes up my cause and establish my right. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his justice. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, Psalm 27, and the response is, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Hear, O Lord, the sound of my call. Have pity on me and answer me. Of you my heart speaks. You my glance seeks. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Your presence, O Lord, I seek. Hide not your face from me. Do not in anger repel your servant. You are my helper. Cast me not off. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Okay, the verse before the gospel is from the gospel of St. John, chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 9, verse 1 to 41. He went, washed, and came back able to see. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he has said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, <clears throat> Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He replied, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now, Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on the Sabbath. So when the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see, he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and Gain, um, and gained his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked him, Is this your son who you, who you say was born blind? How, do he, how does he now see? <clears throat> his parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We do not know how he, he sees now nor do we know who opened his eyes. 
Ask him, he is of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone is acknowledged, has, has acknowledged him as the Christ, he would be ex they, you know he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, question him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, If he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that I know is that I was blind and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, You are that man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, This is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and are you trying to teach us? You were born totally in sin, and are you trying to teach us? They threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that the, those who do not see might see, and those who do not see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees were with him and heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, We see, so your sins remain. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. A reading from... The book of Joshua, chapter 5, verse 9, 10 and 12. The people of God entered the promised land, and there they kept the Passover. A reading from the book of the prophet Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have removed the reproach of Egypt from you. While the Israelites were encamped in Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrate the Passover on the evening of the 14th of the month. On the day after Passover, they ate of the produce of the land in, in, the, in the form of unleavened bread, cakes and parched grain. On that same day after the Passover on which they ate of the, of the produce of the land, the manna ceased. No longer was there manna for the Israelites who that year ate of the yield of the land of Canaan.
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 34. <clears throat> Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be ever in my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us together extol his name. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fear. My fears. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard and from all his distress he saved him. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Okay, one more time. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be ever on, in my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us together extol his name. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Look to him, that you may be radiant with joy, and your face may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard, and from all his distress he saved him. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Second Corinthians, a reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the, to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. God reconciled to himself, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was reconciling the, the world to himself in Christ, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for, ambassadors for Christ as if God were appealing through us, we, impl we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For, for our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so the verse before the gospel is from St. Luke, chapter 15, verse 18. I will get up, go to my father, and say, and shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 15, 1 to 3, 11 to 32. Your brother was dead and has come to life again. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate. 
that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dispassion. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend to the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, and nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat, but here am I dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the elder son had been out in the field. And on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him, What is this might mean? The servant said to him, Your father has, your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fat calf because he has him back, safe and sound. He became angry. And when he he refused to enter the house. His father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I have served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes for him, you slaughtered the the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For this fourth week, we have optional readings, as you can see, This, which is why I read all of them. Um, because we're not going to be sure which one they're going to pick. Um, so I'll, I'll try to, you know, do a little meditation on all of them, reflection on all of them. Um, well, when I, um, I went last night for confession 
uh, to, um, to my parish near me. And, uh, I came in, there was these, um, you know, they, they've been doing these um, catechism classes for the teenagers, for the kids of the parish, uh, the ones that are going to get, um, uh, confirmed, uh, confirmation, uh, for this Easter. And, um, uh, there were these nuns and these nuns were helping out, uh, for the confirmation. Uh, I don't know exactly what order they were dressed in blue. Um, you know, not like the, uh, our, uh, nuns that we had of the 60s, 70s, and 80s that uh, didn't want to wear a habit. You know, those uh, uh, old uh, revolutionary Vatican II nuns that, uh, you know, know, like pretty much you couldn't tell if they were nuns, (laughs) you know, with the short hair and uh, kind of like the sort of... uh, ambiguous looking collar trying to uh uh change the the the, the meaning of nuns or whatever you know looking more business like or whatever you know trying to fit in with the world have one foot in the world and one foot in the uh the church and ambiguously well these were the the new the new order nuns that were more conservative than them and they were you know they um I came in just in time and one of the nuns uh, was talking about the Ukraine and you know uh, the the war what was going on between Russia and Ukraine and they were trying to um, uh, you know get the kids to understand what's going on and and uh, she asked we're going to pray one decade of the Rosary uh, we're gonna, we're going to meditate on the the fourth glorious mystery which is the Assumption of Our Lady and she pointed to the fresco above them on the ceiling. You know, the apostles coming and finding the tomb of Our Lady empty. And after they prayed, we prayed that, you know, I, I joined them. I prayed the decade of the rosary with them. And then um, they went, um, she wanted to, a group photo. A group photo. And the kids were very reluctant to take off their mask. They were really embarrassed. Embarrassed uh, about this whole thing. I mean, they, you know, um, uh, sadly to them being in this class is so uncool being in a religious class is so really nerdy and um you know being in the church is so nerdy and so uncool um but what really got me was of course she couldn't see the nuns couldn't see it the instructors couldn't see it i saw it this one girl on the far left corner uh, kind of like below, uh, on the, on like in the middle row wearing her mask was trying to do the cool thing by sneaking in a middle finger. Yeah. In church, in the photo was trying to sneak in a middle finger. I saw it, but she didn't. She didn't do it. You know, she pulled back her finger. I saw what I saw. 
um, it was, it was pretty sad because it, it proved it is so hard to reach out to these kids in this world. They are so hard. I mean, not all of them were bad kids. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not condemning all of them. But some of them just don't really understand the faith or are too hard-hardened for the faith to, to break in into that secular culture, that culture that refuses God, that rejects God. You know, <clears throat> I'm trying to uh, get back into reading um, when Monsignor uh, when Jassani, um, you know, he was trying to communicate the faith to these kids. Let me see if I could find the book. It's um, Communion Liberation. It's a, um, a movement um, basically trying to find a way to, to live out the Christian faith to, uh, I mean, you have to really be part of it to understand it, to really comprehend, um, what it's all about. It's basically trying to encounter Christ in everyday life, trying to live out the Christian faith, um, Here's the thing. This is someone who's talk. Uh, the introduction to the book called Christ, God's com companionship with man. Uh, just this is about Jasani in 1951 in his book called uh, his famous book called The Religious Sense. Um, a teenage boy came to church because his mother wanted him to go to confession before taking his exam to pass high school. The dialogue between the two went like this. The boy, who was named Luigi, like Luigi Giussani himself, said, you cannot, you cannot deny that the true grandeur of man is that of Dante's Campanus, that giant chained by God in hell. Yet who cries to God, I cannot free myself from these chains because you bind me here. You cannot, however, prevent me from blaspheming, so I blaspheme you. This is the true <clears throat> grandeur of man. A few moments went by, and when Father Giussani, rather than scolding him or lecturing him, posed a simple question to challenge the boy. But isn't it even greater to love the infinite? The teen left the church, and Giussani didn't see him again until a few months later. When he appeared again and told the young priest, for two weeks I've been receiving the sacraments because you said what you said has been eating away at me all summer. The boy was saying in one of passages of Dante's Inferno, Dante, where something about a giant or someone who has been chained because he, you know, feeling that his, that, that God has chained him to prevent him from, uh, you know, I, it was a punishment, obviously. And, you know, you cannot, however, prevent me from blaspheming, so I blaspheme you. 
you know, you cannot free, I cannot free myself from these chains because you bind me here. You cannot, however, prevent me from blaspheming you. So I blaspheme you. I curse you that, that, that the giant, whoever this giant is, I don't know the passage, but Jasani said, but isn't it even greater to love the infinite? And the teen, the teen boy was challenged. I mean, Jasani found a way to communicate to the boy to communicate, I guess, in his, you know, on his level of intellect, which is also challenging him about who God is. The problem is, I think, with a lot of, with, with a lot of the catechists today, is that they choose sort of like some position which is weak, a position that doesn't know how to talk to these kids because we're so cut off from their culture the culture of this, um, uh, a modern culture of these kids, the left knows how to communicate to them. It gives them unfettered freedom, uncomplete freedom, you know, a, you know, a, a complete freedom to, to do whatever they want to do, to, to seek out pleasure un, you know, re recklessly to seek out uh, you know, the, 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 the pleasure of sex, the pleasure of drugs, the, the, you know, without, without restraint, without complete restraint to the point of self-destruction. It, it is, it's the point of these kids, self-destruction. These kids will, will, will find themselves at a point of complete self-destruction. The left tells them, seek out your pleasure, seek out your, your, your lusts. Seek out your, your intoxications. Uh, seek out sexuality. Right? If this doesn't make you happy, go to the next level and find sexuality on that level. Uh, you know, to the point of, like I said, to the point of self-destruction. And and these kids do it. But one thing they can that the left can never promise them is happiness. Is completeness. Right, it, it, you know, it, it, it's 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 impossible. You, you you're never going to be promised happiness. Happiness is never going to come to you, in on on with regardless what pleasure, whether it's in drugs, whether it's in in sex, whether it's in video games, whether it's in revolution, rather whether it's in um um you know whatever gender you could change yourself, you're never going to find yourself happy. Art is never going to make you happy. It's never going to make you happy. The government, the state is never going to make you happy. But the problem is, is communicating to them this. It's communicating because it's also, it's almost like a mindless state of existence. A mindless state of existence. You know, uh, on one hand, you could have a totalitarian government that wants to control your mind, control the way you think, control the way you live, follow the, uh, be, be completely committed to the government and fear the government. On the other hand, you have the left, which says, um, you know, seek out the opium of your, of, 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 of your happiness. Seek out any opium that can make you happy or, you know, and everything and, live like a, a you know an intoxicated zombie to the point that you kill yourself 
But yet, how do we communicate with these kids? How do you, how do you communicate to them who Christ is? Because the problem is, is that the catechist today just seems to follow a rule book and doesn't know how to communicate to these kids. Because we don't know how to cut, we, we don't know how to come down to their level. How to challenge them with Jesus today. Either we're too afraid to do it. Or we're so cut off. We're so, we're so, you know, we're so cut off that we're afraid to, to, to be, you know, to bring Christ. Or we just don't know how to bring Christ to them. I mean, I'm I'm trying to figure out because seeing what that girl did, and seeing that they didn't want to, some of them didn't want to take to take off their masks, shows that this catechism class has not really done done anything to them. Not all of them. Some of those kids, I'm quite certain, were receptive, but some of them were just not receptive. They were just not. They were not a group that I would say that was all equal. And none of them. We shouldn't expect them all to be equal. Do they really understand who Jesus is? Do they really understand? Jasani figured out, and I mean at the time, of course, he, you know, he, you know, he prayed about it. He obviously did. I mean, his first part here is very interesting, right? Um, I'll, I'll try to give you a little something about it because I think it's really, it's really very good. You know, Picture yourself being born, coming out of your mother's womb at the age you are now, at this very moment in terms of your development and consciousness. What, what would be the first, abs uh, first absolutely your in initial reaction? If I were to open my eyes for the first time in this instant, emerging from my mother's womb, I would be overpowered by the wonder and awe of things as a presence. I would be, I would be bellowed over. I would be amazed, you know, knocked over and amazed by the stupefying repercussion of a presence which is expressed in current language by the word thing, things, that something, thing which is concrete and if you if you please banal vision version of the world being being not not as some abstract entity but as a presence a presence which i do not myself make which i find a presence which imposes itself upon me now it's maybe you could say it's a little intellectual but think about it if you if i if, if we were to, to be born right now at this very moment, emerging from the world, in, from, our, in, from our mother's wombs, exactly as we are now with our intellect and thinking and education, never seeing the world before, but for the first time opening our eyes, what would strike us? The sounds, the sights, the colors, we would be amazed 
at what we see. Like one of the things I love in the morning is hearing birds. I love hearing birds. I love the sound of the birds. I also love the sound of the wind going through the trees. I love looking at birds flying by. You know, I love looking at butterflies. I love hearing the birds in the morning and I love hearing the birds in the evening. I also became to appreciate looking at the light going through the tree branches. This year I was very, very aware of the budding of the trees and it made me appreciate God's creation. I love looking at the cherry blossoms that bloom during now this, this spring, especially when I'm heading towards church, when I'm walking through the church, or even sometimes just, you know, in the evening, whatever. I just like it because it shows me, it makes me wonder of that beginning of that first Eden, that first beauty of Eden's, uh, of, of the first Eden and the evening of that first Eden, the beginning of creation. Sounds corny, but it's true. Sometimes in the summertime or, or in when I have time and someone is going to work, I will walk through Central Park. I would walk through Central Park and the best time for me was I don't see anyone. Because I could, it get it, it it gets me to pray to God. It make you know it, it gives me that moment where I can talk a little out loud to myself without embarrassing myself. But it makes it I love it. It's beautiful. A chance I can get see a squirrel running by me, right? Seeing the different birds, the lark or the sparrow. It's beautiful. And in, in, in some mornings, some, you know, you might see, get to see the, the, the hawks flying overhead. Once in a while, I might even catch a, a raccoon running by. And it's beautiful. It makes me feel like I'm in the country. You know, I can imagine myself what it, you know, what <laughs> a Bilbo Baggins or a Frodo would have felt like, or some country bumpkin would have felt like just seeing seeing creation and seeing God, seeing the world for the first time, it will bring me closer to God, the sounds. And this just, just nature itself, the way God intended sounds to be, you know, once that of course, if I'm lucky, I don't hear car horns or trucks or anything like that, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful experience. And it's a wonderful experience. It feels great. I used to like walking through Prospect Park when I had the chance one time, you know, and it, you know, sometimes there would be no joggers or I would walk on the grass and go to a wooded area just to experience the, you know, nature, the way people always talk about, you need to experience nature once in a while and it's beautiful. But do these kids understand it? Do these kids understand a moment of quietness? I like quietness in churches. 
I don't like the boom boxes. I don't like the 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 new t the the music with the hip hop and the sounds on the large stereos. I don't like it because it's so artificial and it's so disturbing. You know, but do they understand what that means in a world for them that is completely made of distractions, designed for distractions, designed to grab their attention and to and also to constantly move their attention from one moment to the next, from one attention to the next, from one distraction to the next. Do they do they really understand this? That where they don't like to read. Believe it or not, these kids don't like to read. They don't like picking up a book and reading. They don't like contemplating. They don't like meditating. They don't like standing still. Some of them can't even stop cursing, can't even stop swearing the name of God. They don't know how sacred it is. You know, the fact is you need to get so close to Jesus, so close to, to God that you are disgusted and revolted when you hear the name of Jesus blasphemed. You know, when I hear someone use the name Jesus in a blasphemous way and even put throw the name F in there, like if it's his middle name, and they do it without thinking, without shame, without repentance, that's when you know they're very far away. They blaspheme uncontrollably, without shame, without even a thought. And if you correct them, they're going to get angry. Because they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know who God is. Their hearts are far away from God. The culture has taken them so far beyond the 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 borders that it's impossible to bring them back in. They're in the realm of Satan. And they don't know it. And if you tell them, they're going to laugh at you. It's sad. You know, it's very sad. You know, he who does not believe in God is inexcusable says St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, because that person must deny this original phenomenon, this original experience of the other. A baby lives with this experience without being aware of it because he is not yet completely conscious, but the adult who does not live, live it or does not consciously perceive it is less than a baby. That person is an anthropoid. It's basically like like a mindless body, what he means by anthropoid is like an, a mindless existence, unconscious existence. Basically, it's just dead. You're just dead. You're just a dead flesh. So imagine that. Babies look up and they smile, right? 
They look at your eyes. They look at the face. They see if it's a, if it's a friendly face. They smile. And they live with wonder. There was this image on Instagram of this little Asian baby, beautiful little Asian baby, watching this duck toy of these ducks going up and sliding down, going up and sliding down. And, he, and, and his eyes, the baby's eyes were so open in, in amazement at the toy amazement at at its at its wonder of how it's moving around you can see its eyes were just following this little duckies f moving around and you know you see also like the, this baby where it was behind the other glass and it was in wonder at the animal at the other side it could be a gorilla or a, a baby gorilla or a or a a, a, a a bear or a panda bear and it, it was just amazed, smiling at the beauty. You see how this baby smiles at a one time this parent was holding it. And you see these little ducks swimming around, alive ducks. And he was just amazed in wonder. Or you ever see this image of a child where a butterfly lands on, on her nose? And it's just like you see her eyes just narrow together just to look at the butterfly and amaze that this butterfly land landed on her nose. It's beautiful. They are conscious, but in the same time unconscious of God's creation around them. Very beautiful, very beautiful, and it, you see that. These kids are, in a sense, mindless, really, in the world. They, their, their minds go from one distraction to another, like I said earlier. They listen to this music that's not even music, it's just noise. They, they dance to mindless noise. They think it's music. They'll forget the music maybe within the next season until another mindless saw, uh, um, noise comes along. I keep calling it accidentally music, but it's not. Becomes the new hit. And they will quickly forget the next, the last hit. They will go through their, they go through their, um, Instagram on their phones through the social media, flipping. You see them flipping, 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 looking for something. Or they'll watch a video of some celebrity that that made the song and they'll they'll look at the stupid dancing or something. And then of course soon within a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that's gonna be the old thing and they're gonna go after the next thing. They're not conscious of the world around them. They've been made unconscious of the world around them. And that's sad. And he goes on here. This is Jasani. The awe, the marvel of this reality, which imposes itself upon me, of this presence which reaches me, is at the origin of the awakening of a human consciousness. Radical amazement is to be, is to the understanding of the realness of God. What clarity and distractness are to the comprehension of mathematical ideas devoid of wonder. We remain deaf to the sublime. You see, he's saying is that 
you have to be aware of God is to be aware of the world, to be aware of his presence in the world. Okay. The devil, our society, rules our society and uses any tool or weapons to distract us from the reality of God. Okay. We are born to this reality. We don't choose the reality. Okay. We open our eyes to the reality that God created. We are made aware of the wonder of this reality. Okay. You and I didn't create this world. I didn't create the trees. I didn't create the mountains. I didn't create the, the, the oceans and the seas and the rivers. I did not create the, the clouds or the stars. I did not make the night or the day. Okay. I did not do it. You did not do it. You did not create any of these things. I did not create any of these things. These things were created for us. We open our eyes. Our ears are opened. Our minds are made known about this presence because we it, it imposes itself on us. Now to really appreciate this world, we have to be aware who created the world. These kids don't do that. They're, take, they're, they're distracted, pulled away from this reality to distractions, mindless, useless distractions. Okay, the artist makes the painting. A good example, I work in a museum. You walk into the museum, your mind first is overwhelmed by the first entrance. Okay, first of all, before you even reach the first entrance, you come to the front steps of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You notice the steps. A woman asked me at one time, is this where they filmed the Rocky movie? No, that's not what they filmed the first Rocky movie. Actually, the Rocky movie was filmed in Philadelphia. The steps there are far bigger than the Mets. But people notice the columns, the Greek Roman columns. You notice the structure of the museum. It looks like a temple. It looks like a Roman temple when you first approach it. It's very big. It's several blocks long. All right. There's at least two floors of the uh, of the Metropolitan Museum. You walk into the Met. You're going to notice this. What's it called? The Great Hall. It's you see a balcony. It's all made of in classical design, classical Greek Roman design. All right, neoclassical design. You. The first thing you're going to notice is there's going to be like this one statue of a of an Egyptian pharaoh on, on the right hand. You did not create it. Someone else created it. Someone else decided to move it from its original place to there. So, you, you, so you're made aware of this object's presence the minute you walk in. That's what I'm saying is the wonder of it. Your attention is gonna be focused on it. You didn't create this reality you didn't move, you didn't create that statue and someone decided to design the hall with that statue, putting that statue there. So your attention, the minute you walk in, you see that big giant sculpture. That's what I'm saying is, is that it's the, you're, you're, you're also awestruck and made, made, you know, you're, you're in wonder of it. That's 
that's the, also another way of seeing how the world, how God made the world. God created this reality. You didn't create it. I didn't create it. But a lot of people are trying to impose this ridiculous philosophy that it's not a reality, that it's nothing is real. But it is real. Your senses are telling you it's real. Your eyes are telling you it's real. Your mind is telling you that this reality is real. But the problem is also is that you're not appreciating it. You're not appreciating the world, the universe, the cosmos that God created because you're constantly in distraction. And because you're, you're not appreciating it, you're also limiting your experiences with God, your appreciation of God, your gratitude to God is not you know, is not happening because you're distracted and because you're distracted, you're missing an opportunity and in a relationship with God. And also the mercy of Christ. You, you know, it literally, it's like saying the truth. We're going through life with our eyes closed or with a bag over our head. And we're mindless. We're not really alive. And I think Jasani got the idea and he helped these kids. And I think we have to figure out how to communicate this to them. Therefore, the very first sense of the human being is that of facing reality, okay? Which is not his, which exists independently of him and upon which he depends empirically, 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 I, I'm, I'm, I'm having a problem pronouncing this word. Um, translated, it is the original perception of a given, a word, which if used in a completely human sense, involving the total person, all of the factors of an individual's personality comes alive. Given as a past participle, uh, participle implies something which gives, give it, gives. The word which translates in the content of human terms, the word given, and thus describes the content of our first impact with, with reality, is the word gift. But without dwelling on this, the very word given is also vibrant with an activity in front of which I am passive. And it is a passive passivity which makes which makes upon my original activity of receiving, take note, recognizing. One time while I was teaching in a high school, this is Jasani talking, I asked, so then, according to you, what does evidence mean? Can one of you define it? One boy to the right of my chair, after a very long and embarrassed silence on the part of the students, explained, but then evidence is inexorable presence. Becoming aware of an inexorable presence, I open my eyes to this reality which is imposes itself upon me, which is not depend upon me, but upon which I depend. It is the great conditioning of my existence. If you like the given, it is this 
awe which awakens the ultimate question within us, not as a cold observation, but as a wonder pregnant with an attra attraction, almost passivity, in which simultaneously is uh, conceived an attraction. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it could be a little wordy, I understand that, but... Jasani is trying to, to help us experience God by really not letting useless things, I think, attract us. And I think that's the problem I've noticed. Is a lot of these a lot of these kids are attracted by useless things that don't give them any benefit, that don't give them any joy. And of course, you know, a lot of these kids they they're also part of a social circle. And this social circle, of course, unfortunately, is constantly, um, you know, you, you need to be part of a social circle. You have your friends. Uh, you need to be part of the trend. You need to be part of the modern trend. You need to be part of the, the what's happening movement, the present movement. And we, we, we miss out on the beauty of God's mercy. You see this in Micah. I will put my trust in God. I, you know, I will look to the Lord. I will put my trust in God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will arise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord is my light. The wrath of the Lord I will endure because I have sinned against him until he takes up my cause. And establishes my right. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his ju his justice. This this whole mercy comes by admitting his sin. It's not a guilt that is in complete hopelessness. It's a guilt. It's, it's admitting one's guilt out of a in, a in a relationship with God. He knows that God's mercy, God's love, has a purpose to it, and he knows that admitting his guilt is in order to restore his relationship with God. That's why when we go to confession, we we know that God forgives. But we, in order to, uh, to, to appreciate that forgiveness, we have to endure chastisement. A certain pen, we have to endure penance. And then we have to, we have to grow in that relationship. That's why we go to confession. That's why we, we admit it. We know he is faithful and he's forgiving. You know, the next one after that is the Psalm, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? Because God is my light and my salvation. I got nothing to be afraid of. The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? Again, he is my light, my salvation. He is my refuge. Whom should I, I got nothing to be afraid of. The Lord is here, O Lord, the sound of my call. You can pray to God. Have pity on me and answer me. Again, it's a relationship. It's a relationship 
and you know that he is always there, always present. Of you my heart speaks, you my glance seeks. I seek, I seek you, I always seek you, and I seek to be in your presence. I seek the always to be, to be near you. Your presence, O Lord, I seek. Hide not your face from me. Do not in anger repel your servant. You are my helper. Cast me not off. Again, the relationship. A confident relationship in God. Even in your weakness, you still have a relationship with God. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. You, you know, you have confidence, you have courage in this relationship. And then here we have the Gospel of John. Like I said, I don't know which one they're going to pick for this weekend, but the beauty about this one is that Jesus heals the blind man, the man who's been born blind from his birth. But here's something I want you to think about. Jesus in other cases, always touches the blind. In this case, he doesn't just touch the blind. He spits in the ground and makes clay and rubs it into the man's eyes. Why? What you notice later on is that some people had difficulty uh, uh, recognizing the man because the man, the man's eyes were opened what I, but what, this is what I believe why Jesus did this is that the man was born with no eyes. Because they use the word, he opened your eyes. How did he open your eyes? He looks like the man. No, he, no, it's not him. Others would say, it just looks like him. Others would say, is it him? You know, they couldn't, they couldn't figure out because obviously something changed. His deformity is gone. Jesus sculpted and gave him new eyes. He had to go and wash. And then suddenly there's a big trial about him. But here's the thing. Know that the people, who, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are more offended by the fact that he has been healed on the Sabbath. And, and they're not even amazed that the man has eyes. They're not even relay, amazed at the reality that this guy had no eyes, was blind from birth, and now he has eyes, but they're offended over the fact that it was done over the Sabbath. So you have to ask yourself, who is more deformed? Who is more blind? They were more blind than the man that now can see. He was blind and now he can see. That's what the, that's what the, These are the words that gave birth to that song, Amazing Grace. But think about it. They even questioned his parents and the parents had to deflect and say, well, he's old enough, ask him because they were afraid of being excommunicated from the synagogue because it would have been a, you know, uh, they would have become social outcasts and probably because they're poor and old and they depend on the, the synagogue's charities. But think about it. The Pharisees were offended because the reality that they live in has been disrupted. The reality they created for themselves has been disrupted by something from 
a, a greater reality from the outside, which is Christ, who is the light of the world. And this man was interrogated and he said, I don't understand. I already told you how I was healed, how I was given my sight back. Are you asking because you want, you're seeking to know this man and want to be his disciples? And they got offended that this guy was now preaching to them. The man who was born blind and now is, can see. And Jesus comes and what does he say to the man? Do you believe in the son of man? Once he was excommunicated, thrown out of the synagogue, they called him a sinner. They said you were born in sin and he was kicked out of the synagogue and Jesus came and looked for him and said, do you believe in the son of man? And he used the word son of man from Daniel again. And the man said, who is he, Lord? Because you, it is he who was speaking to you. And he bowed down and worshiped. And then Jesus says, I came to bring light into the world to those who are, in, who are blind. And the man, the Pharisees, of course, were there. And they said, are you saying that we who are righteous are born blind. And he said, because you say you see, your sins remain. But they do not see because they don't see that, they're, they're, that they don't recognize, acknowledge their own sins. They're not living in reality. They're living in a reality they created. And that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. These kids are doing this. Again, another scene is we get also the gospel of Luke about the prodigal son, who again, Look what he does. He goes ahead and asks for his father's money and he goes and spends it and wastes it on debauchery, on distractions like these kids do today. Like the Pharisees live in their own distraction. They don't live in a reality, right? They don't, live, they don't really appreciate, they didn't even appreciate that God came into their world, that God healed a man born blind. They don't even appreciate that God is still active in this in, in reality. Instead, they keep God out, uh, out of reality by creating their own reality. The young man, prodigal, this young prodigal son, goes off and wastes his money on stupid things. He wastes everything his father given to him. Then hard times kick in, like we're going through right now, a famine. And he suddenly had to get a job as a, as a Jew looking after pigs. And even the, the husks of the pigs, the, the, the food of the pigs was starting to look uh, delicious to him. So he finally acknowledges his faults, his errors. Reality starts kicking in. And so he starts to think with, with a clear mind. And decides to go home. I will apologize to my father. And I will tell him. I will say to my father. That I have sinned against heaven and earth. Against you. Father please forgive me. Hopefully he'll take me back. My father's servants live better than me. But the father sees him from far away. And runs and hugs him. And decides to have a big party. He puts new clothes on him in the ring. His other son. His oldest son. Who you know still works and still does the job on, on the, on the estate finds out what's going on and gets angry. He's gets jealous. I know I've done, I've always obeyed you. I've done whatever you said, 
But this guy comes home and you put a big feast for him. You kill a fatted calf. And I, you never even given me one goat so I could have a feast with my friends. And his father tells him, listen, I love you. And I, I see you do everything correctly. But your brother went off the deep end. He went off and, became, and tried to be independent. And he wound up discovering how irresponsible he is. Everything I have is yours. But your brother was dead and now is alive. You see? And the words, now I was blind and now I see. Now he was dead and he's alive. These are the words of the, like an amazing grace. How sweet thou art to, to save a wretch like me. I once was dead and now I'm alive. I once was blind and now I see. These are the words to amazing grace that you, that you see from John's gospel and Luke. But the fact is, is coming into awareness of reality, coming into the awareness of God's, God's existence in our world, waking up and stop being stupid and blind about things. This is, you know, th th this is what it means to have a relationship with God. And you can see that in Jasani's writing. And you can see the problem that we're having with the youth today. How do you communicate to them? How do you get them aware of the, of sin? How do you get them aware of their own of their of their own of their own blindness? I don't know. I think that that's prayer. I mean, we have to pray and hope that God gives us the same the same grace and 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 skill that He gave someone like Jasani how to communicate to the youth. I just think I'm sorry it's gone a lot of far off than it should, but you know we gotta. You know, we have to think about this, I think, during this time of Lent, because these kids, soon they're going to be off on their own. And I don't know if we've given them the proper tools. I mean, you hope that they come back to the church and you maybe you hope that they go through a conversion. You pray about it. All right. God bless. I'm going to say the, uh, the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. And by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. 
I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All right, let's uh, say a Hail Mary for Pope Francis. Okay, for Pope Francis, for his intentions. I know uh, I never really agreed with him in a lot of other things, but I think um, God has made some things clear to me. You're hearing noise in the background. It's because uh, I'm doing this in my bedroom and the heat's coming up. So it's New York City uh, noise and apartment noise. So, um, you know, I think, you know, God has pretty much, you know, that term God of surprises that Francis used. Well, God has definitely surprised us that he would be the one that would do the consecration. And I'm not saying that the other ones like Pope John Paul did was not valid it was valid because seven years later the berlin wall came down and the soviet union doesn't exist but still um it's a it's a long-term conversion process you know um let's just say hail mary for pope francis hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Let's say a Hail Mary for Pope Benedict. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Let's say a Hail Mary for the people of Ukraine. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. For Russia, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Let's say a, Mary, a Hail Mary for the consecration of Russia and Ukraine. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Let's say a Hail Mary for the, the, the people of Ukraine um, that are refugees, the people who lost everything, the people who are suffering. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, the hour of our death. Amen. For the families, the elderly, the children, the lives that have been lost. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. For the soldiers that have died, uh, the Russian soldiers, as well as the Ukrainian soldiers. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And let's pray for, for the souls in purgatory, for the forgotten souls in purgatory. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And let's say in Our Father, 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. And St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. You know, um, I know it was a little bit of a long podcast, but, you know, I think I had to talk about it because it really, it really made it aware I mean, how difficult it is to reach out to the young people with all the distractions that's happening now, with all this transgender stuff and everything. And the the culture, like I, I used to think when I was younger, like I said, I wanted to be an illustrator. I wanted to do something like work in that field, uh, that, that, that particular field. And, and thankfully, I, I maybe it was a blessing that I didn't go into it when I think about it now. And and I didn't, um, I could never have survived. I could never have been able to take care of my mom. God leads us sometimes where we don't want to go. We don't realize it, but he does. And hopefully I will figure out how I will use the skills that God gave me and use it in a way that, you know, especially with art. Art is a very, very funny, difficult thing. It's a language and it could do a lot of good and it could do a lot of harm. It could do, it could be a lot of, it could be a blessing and it could be evil. It could be used for evil, for evil means. And that's something we have to realize that. I think it's hard for us to understand it. A lot of, Evil stuff is being done with art now. A lot of evil stuff is being communicated to the kids, corrupting them. And um, it's, you know, it, it's it's sad. It's sad. I mean, everybody's heard the stuff about Tolkien, what's going on. Amazon is making up. The Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. And they're taking the appendices of Tolkien's writings to create stories that Tolkien didn't write. These are little appendices. Tolkien had ideas, backstories to his characters because it's a whole world. But Tolkien has often expressed regret having the appendices published. You know, But the thing is, I think you have to understand something is that his kids were, were basically writing the back of his success. And... That's what they were doing because when the man created something over 80, 90 years ago and it became a worldwide success, it didn't even become a success overnight. The books were a great, a great reading. Tolkien was a Catholic and he created these characters out of his own Catholic belief, creating a mythology. And, you know, it was a success. It, it helped put food on the table and get, gave him a little freedom, uh, and, um, you know, his kids tried to ride that success to make a little money. And they did. And in, and the problem now, of course, is the, the movies and 
the success of the Lord of the Rings and the success of the of the Hobbit. Um, whether one likes the movies or not, I think the books, in my opinion, um, are a great success. The movies, one has to admit, would have brought people to read the books. And Tolkien didn't write anymore. I mean, he left a lot of paper, a lot of uh, ideas on scraps of paper that his son Christopher put together. But it goes to show you that art, there's good and there's bad in 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 what in this. Good in the fact that people are reading the books and they find pleasure from reading the books, and it they could use it. The books could even help people find to want to explore Tolkien's Tolkien a little bit more. That it will lead people to maybe to the to the Catholic faith. Because behind it, you want to understand Tolkien, you have to understand Tolkien's theology and his faith. He, he wrote this through the guidance and influence of his Catholic faith. And he, he never stopped being a Catholic. He, he, he was hurt that the church changed his liturgy and everything. But the point is, it did lead people to want to explore his Catholicism more, which is a good thing. Like I said, if you really get into his writings, you will find your way there. And you really will, you know, you want to appreciate it, you know, and everything. Um, like just like C.S. Lewis's writings help people find their way to God. And sometimes people even found their way from C.S. Lewis to the Catholic faith some became Protestant, but others, because they realized that Lewis's friendship with Tolkien. So it's, like I said, art can do wonderful things if it's used properly. But art can be also a bad thing in a sense that it could lead people into the occult. It could lead people, like with Tolkien, you can never, ever sensualize Tolkien's writings. You can never pornography, you may use pornography to Tolkien's, uh, Tolkien's art because Tolkien was not that kind of person. He, you know, he put romance, he put attraction, he put beautiful characters like Galadriel and Erwin and Owen, uh, you know, you know, uh, all these particular, uh, women, beautiful women, like, you know, even when they tried, when they did the, the Hobbit, uh, Evangeline Lily, a character that's not even in the Hobbit, you couldn't sexual, you couldn't uh, exploit that character because that's not Tolkien. And which is, you know, you gotta, you gotta give something to Peter Jackson. You know, he, he stayed, he stayed within those limits, but go to, go to Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian. You're gonna, you got women in iron brassiers. You got naked women. You got him carrying a naked woman on his shoulders, bare butt and everything. And that's, you know, and then you got J George R. R. Martin's uh, Game of Thrones, where literally he has a almost a, a, a bare-breasted woman and a and a rape scene almost every couple of chapters. That's you know that's George R. R. Martin, and that's that's the allure of his writing, and that's the the allure of Robert E. Howard's uh, Conan the Barbarian. Is it's it's you know it's basically sex and violence. But not Tolkien. You can never do that with Tolkien. You can never do that because Tolkien, because Tolkien, Tolkien's stories was about the story, and there was something deeper. 
in it. His Catholicism was there. But in a very subtlety, you have to scratch the surface. You got to look for the meaning, even though he hated allegory and, and metaphors, but it's there. Tolkien understood you can't escape it. And he even admitted that his work is fundamentally Catholic. And art has that power. And that's what I wanted to say is another thing that you can see that can be used to communicate to children, to communicate to the youth, to teenagers. And you hope that it will do that one day. All right, that's about it. Um, I'll be back later with some, with uh, hopefully I'll come back with the... Uh, the consecration to uh, Russia and Ukraine to Fatima. I mean, to Our Lady Immaculate Heart. God bless.